you get an invitation in the old uh, U.S. Postal Service mail, the snail mail, and it's, uh, it's to, to a wedding. And you're checking it out here, and you'll note the date and everything, and you, you say, you know, I need to RSVP to that, right? And, the, and then, you know, another day or two comes by, and you get another invitation. And, and maybe this one comes in the uh, post office uh, way, the old snail mail, or maybe it comes email or uh, through messenger or whatever, text, whatever it might be. And, and they f you find out they're on the same day. And, and now you've got a problem. Because, you know, you have all these kind of emotions that go through your mind. Okay, okay, I'd like to go to this one, but I'd also like to go to this one. Or maybe I need to go to this one, but I'd really prefer to go to this one. Or maybe I'll be expected or I'd really enjoy. And you're, you're, you're kind of going back and forth in your mind. And, you know, uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of people have this, uh, this emotion of, uh, or this experience of FOMO, fear of missing out. So you don't want to really commit. You just kind of keep it out there. You just kind of, I'm just going to wait on this. I, I don't know which one I'm going to do. So then you wait, you wait, you wait. And finally you have to make the call. And, and so then you make the call and then you regret it. And then you're, you, you go back and forth. You cancel that one. You go, and it's really tough, these competing invitations. And sometimes you get through social media. Sometimes you, you see something pop up. Uh, or an event's coming, or a concert, or, or something that you really enjoy doing, an art festival, I don't know what it might be, but there, there's stuff you want to do, and there's these competing invitations. Come. You're invited. Be, be a part with us. We'd, we'd love to have you be a part of this. We'd be honored by your presence. Sometimes it's formal stuff, sometimes it's informal stuff, but it's constantly happening. You're getting these competing invitations. I had a friend of mine uh, and he's about my age, and he, taught, he talked about way back when he was a college student, uh, and he was getting ready to graduate, and, uh, and he was thinking about all these possible internships. It was his, his last year, and he was thinking about graduation, and, um, and uh, there was another friend of his. She came, and she said, you know, I've got this incredible invitation. I'm going to take it, and it's with this startup, and he's thinking, that just doesn't sound real stable, and... Um, and she says, no, I'm going to take it. And he goes, well, fine. You know, he, 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 he had that opportunity. He said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to stay away. She took that invitation. She responded to it. She took the internship. Internship ended up being um, with a, a young entrepreneur named Bill Gates. And, uh, and she got in on the ground floor with Bill Gates. And, uh, and she became one of the main leaders in his company. And she's now retired and owns several homes and so forth. And my friend says, you know, what if I'd accepted that invitation? Was that a good thing or a bad? You know, all those things. Uh, and, and we're facing those. We're like, what's the long-term consequence of this? Of this? Uh, and today I want to talk to you about um, making good decisions when you have these competing invitations to your life. And I'm, talk, I'm calling this better decisions Fewer regrets. What if your life could be when you make a decision, you know, this is going to be good. And, 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 and you respond to invitations, you respond to opportunities in such a way that you live life more fully. You live life more, um, more spiritually minded. Uh, it's fulfilling. It's, it's a blessing. It's encouraging. And you live life with fewer regrets. 
You look back and you don't say, you know, I, I wish I'd done that instead. I wish I would not have done that. I wish I would have decided that. I wish I would not have chosen that. What if you could get to a place where you made better decisions and had fewer regrets? That's what we're going to talk about today. And guys, um, this is just one. Uh, we're going to walk our way through really the entire book of Proverbs is about this. Is about from here on out, 9 all the way down to 30, chapter 31, is about better decisions, fewer regrets. And it's about having boundless wisdom. Wisdom that is not bounded by time and space, but by eternity and God himself pouring that wisdom into our lives. The truth is, we, you and I are constantly receiving invitations to opportunities. Some toward wise, others would be unwise. We're receiving invitations to do good, and we're receiving invitations to do wrong, to do evil. We're receiving invitations to something that's eternal and lasting and impactful, and there's others to temporary and offering short-term pleasures and gains. We're, we're, We're offered opportunities and invitations to things that are thoughtful and meaningful and truly satisfying long-term, and others that are shallow, but in the short run, pretty fun. How do, you, how do you weigh those out? How do you understand this? And today we come to Proverbs chapter 9. And we're going to learn that our daily decisions determine sometimes our entire lifetime direction. Our daily decisions eventually end up determining the direction of our entire lives. Check out these two just came to, to me. Here's one. Woman's contemplating, should I get in the ocean or not? The, the, the sign is shark sighted today. Enter water at your own risk. Okay, she's got a decision to make. What's the wise one? What's the unwise one? Here's another one. The monkey is just thinking about taking his stick and hitting the lion. He's got a choice to make. And his decision may determine the entire outcome of his entire life. Okay, seriously. Proverbs 9, back to it, is the pivot point of the entire book of Proverbs. Because up to this point, we've been getting uh, these uh, pictures of wisdom. We've been getting a father talking to a son. We've get this personification of the concept of wisdom, which is this woman who represents wisdom like the Statue of Liberty. And instead of liberty, it's, it's wisdom. And she's calling upon us to to hear her, and she's a representative of God's wisdom and God's goodness and God's discernment and God's understanding. Now, we're going to come to Proverbs chapter 9 because it's the end of the opening section, and then chapter 10 next weekend is Proverbs chapter 10 begins this long series of of, uh, collection of some people think random words of wisdom, like little proverbs, little sayings, little anecdotal thoughts. Uh, little tweets, the Lord's tweets. And how are we to process all of those? Well, this is the writer of Proverbs, Solomon's last moment. It's the last moment to kind of set the stage for all the Proverbs that are to follow. So we need to listen carefully to what he is saying here, all right? And to get us started, I want to give you, which I don't so often do, I want to give you the poetic structure of this chapter. Yeah, you can tell your friends at work, uh, on Monday, hey, I learned about the poetic structure of the book of Proverbs. Okay, check it out here. All right, so here it is. This chapter is going to be interesting because it's going to unfold for us. And what it has in this chapter, I'm going to make a big, huge, big circle. 
And this chapter is going to be made up of two competing invitations. And in the center of the chapter is going to be kind of the meat of, of the meaning of this passage. So the core teaching of the passage. So what we're going to see here is interesting. We're going to see two competing invitations. This, the, the, the first invitation we're going to, to see is to wisdom, an invitation to wisdom. And that's going to be the first part that we'll look at. This, the ending of the chapter is going to be a competing invitation from folly. Okay, another personification of a woman who is calling out to us, inviting us. Her name is folly or insanity or madness. It's stupidity, it's sometimes even translated. And in the middle, the middle part of this, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hear important things. We're going to learn about our, kind of our posture. That's this point. We're going to learn this. Our posture, our approach to life, or the way that we receive things. We're going to learn the, the, the absolute center of the book of Proverbs, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then here we're going to learn about the life outcomes that flow out of someone who embraces the fear of the Lord. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Okay, so that's the structure. It's bookended by an invitation to wisdom and an invitation to folly. And in the center is this teaching, the core teaching of the passage. All right, so let's dive in. First, let's come to the first invitation. You are invited, and so am I, every day to a banquet, to a party, if it, as it were, of wisdom. Wisdom's calling upon you to come to the party, come to the banquet that will be satisfying and fulfilling and meaningful and amazing. That's what wisdom is doing right now. We're going to look at this. Now, as we get into this chapter, uh, chapter 9 and we walk through this, in these invitations, not every single word represents some reality. In other words, don't press every single detail. Some people read this and they're like, oh, this means this and this means this and this means this. And every word means, it's just trying to give us an overarching picture of what wisdom and folly or insanity look like. This is poetry, remember? That's what Proverbs is. It, it, it's, it's parables. It's not an allegory, chapter 9, where every picture, every word, every detail corresponds to a specific reality so take the overarching picture that you get of wisdom okay let's look at it wisdom this is this this personification of wisdom in kind of lady wisdom like statue of wisdom think of that in your mind all right she has built her house so wisdom which is is a personification of god's wisdom and goodness and truth is building a house building a life she has carved out her seven pillars. So she's building a life. This, remember when Jesus talked about two houses? That's very similar. In fact, it didn't even come from this idea. Two houses, one built on the rock, one built on the sand. It's a little different, but it has that same kind of idea. She has carved out her seven pillars. The seven, remember number seven, we learned it's from Revelation. It's the idea of completeness, fulfillment. This is the perfect house. This is a great house. This is a solid house. Seven pillars. It stands the test of time. It's, it's, it's an amazing place. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. This is a fine banquet. This is an outstanding banquet. It's been thought through. It's carefully put together. 
and it's going to be enjoyable and there's going to be great people there and she has a tremendous meal she has spread out for us to invite us to and she says to us then calls out to all of us she says whoever is inexperienced enter here to the one who lacks sense she says come eat my bread and drink the wine i have mixed now the words were to the inexperienced the simple sometimes it's translated as and really this applies you know in in the in the flow of the book of proverbs to to young folks who are still making decisions about the direction in their lives but in reality it really applies to all of us because we all come to situations in our life where where we don't really know what to do we're simple as it were to this situation we're inexperienced in how to deal with this crisis or this matter that's come to us and so all of us have something to learn here she's saying to the one who lacks sense like i you know sometimes we do dumb things we all do you do i do she's saying come i got something to, to teach you come eat my bread and drink the wine i've mixed she's prepared this meal this banquet for us that represents the wisdom that she has to offer to us it's going to enrich our lives and bless us and be so fulfilling and pleasurable long term and 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 satisfying and truly nourishing to our bodies and souls and she pleads with us leave inexperience behind give up the ways where you're making mistakes where you're having regrets better decisions fewer regrets right she says leave that behind you and you will live live is not just you know continue to breathe heart still beating brain still functioning it's like real life like you're going to experience life to its fullest the abundant life that jesus offers us jesus by the way is the incarnate wisdom he is wisdom from on high so in in, in many ways he becomes the wisdom of god i am the way the truth of life i am the wisdom of god leave it that all behind you and you will live pursue the way of understanding she's pleading with us she's inviting us to an incredible party to an incredible banquet this is going to be meaningful and amazing for us all right so that's the first invitation you're getting asked to come to this incredible banquet that's the first one that we hear and it doesn't just come once in your life if i come to faith in jesus that, that is an important and incredible foundational um, invitation but it's every day you're you're getting invitations where god is speaking to you and saying come to me and learn come to me you're weary come to me and learn you're, you you're, you don't know what to do come to me and learn God is constantly inviting us every single day of our lives to his banquet of wisdom. Then next up is the core teaching, okay? So remember I said, whoops, um, I said that there was going to be um, the structure of this. It's going to have this, uh, this invitation. We've already seen that, the invitation of wisdom. Then we come to the core teaching, and that's where we are right now, the core teaching. And then we're going to follow it up with the second invitation. Here we go. The, and now it says, I'm just read 7, 8, and 9. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Watch out. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. So now we're coming to two different people. We're getting this picture of two ways of approaching the wisdom that God is offering to you. One posture, one mindset, one kind of way you approach these invitations is a mocker. The other is a wise person. 
And we get these two differing responses to these invitations to come every day of your life. And they're extreme. They're on the edges. On the one end, you got the mocker. On the other end, you got this incredibly wise person who continues to grow in wisdom. So let's go back to verse 7 for a minute. To the one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. So we get this contrast. So if you go to up to a mocker and say, hey, I don't think that's quite the right way. Their mindset is already set. They've made up their minds. The mocker is the most um, kind of set in their ways of all the fools of the book of Proverbs. You start out simple, then you go to you know, unwise, and then you go to a fool, and then you go to, to someone who's, who, who, who uh, strays. And finally, you end up with somebody who's kind of the convinced against the Lord mocker. They mock God. He said, you, you deal with that kind of person, you're going to bring abuse on yourself. They're going to trash talk right back to you. You're asking for it. They're going to turn on you and they're going to insult you and they're going to abuse you verbally and maybe otherwise. The one that rebukes the wicked will get hurt. If you try to reach out to a person like that and they're really convinced, oftentimes you're going to get abuse yourself. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. There's just some people that are not ready to hear what you have to say. And it's so relationally disruptive that they're not ready. And it might not be the moment to go there with them. On the other hand, he says, rebuke the wise and he will love you. So the other end of the spectrum is somebody who's really open and teachable to the things of God. They want to learn. They want to grow. They know they have things in their life that need correction and need, need strengthening, need, need to, to, to learn some of God's ways. Instruct the wise, maybe that's you. You're, you're, you are a ways into the walk with God. But you never, you never stop learning. You never stop growing in wisdom. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. You can always grow in wisdom. We've always got something to learn. Teach the righteous, someone who lives relationally well with others in the sight of God and walks with God on a daily basis. Teach the righteous and he or she will learn more. There's this ever deepening of their heart and soul. And this particular passage, this core teaching here in 7 through 9, presents our attitude or our mindset or our posture. And first, you got to like, you ask yourself, okay, who do I approach with the wisdom that I have? or the wisdom that you have from God's word. And so he's saying, okay, you gotta be careful how you deal with people that are really antagonistic, and yet there's other people that are just like teachable and they wanna learn and grow. That's one angle to approach these three verses, seven through nine. But there's another angle to approach seven through nine, and that is, what kind of person am I? On the spectrum of mocker to really, really wise, where, where do I fall in that? The, the mocker, the, the posture that they have towards hearing things about the Lord is the folded arms, defiant, hostile, antagonistic, know-it-all, they already have all the answers, arrogant. They just, they're not listening to, to learn, they're listening to respond with their insult or their abuse. The other, the wise, is eager to learn, leaning in, all ears, open heart, open mind to the ways of God. 
There's a humility there that says, I don't, I haven't arrived. So, and maybe it's different in different situations, but honestly, I'm asking you honestly to search your heart and say, when God comes speaking and he tells you things that maybe stretch you, that maybe challenge you, that maybe you didn't really want to hear, maybe that really cause you to step back and say, you know, maybe I need to change my ways. Maybe I need to change my perspective. You're all, are you open to that? Or are you already convinced? I don't need to hear about that. I don't want to hear about God. Guys, he's saying, here's the principle. Watch your tendencies. Either to be defensive or to be teachable. Wisdom comes to us in all sorts of packages and ways and people. It comes through us as we open up God's word. It comes to us through people that speak into our lives, trusted friends, parents, family members, uh, teachers, pastors. It comes to us in all sorts of ways. And sometimes it comes through uh, somebody at work that, that is, is, is reaching out to you and says, I got some wisdom for you. Sometimes it even comes, wisdom comes from people who maybe don't even know the Lord, but they know that area of life, that, 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 uh, that skill set or that business area or that uh, area of life. And even though they may not yet know Christ, they do have some knowledge and wisdom to speak into that. And my question is, what's your response What's your tendency? Is it to get defensive? To immediately think, I'm pushing back on that? To immediately to think of how I'm hurt, this offends me? To immediately come back with the retort? To immediately start backing up and assume you're thinking of how you're going to respond to this because it always feels to you like an attack? And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. It's just somebody who really has some correction. Sometimes even somebody, the Bible talks about a rebuke. The Word of God, in, in, in uh, Paul tells Timothy, um, all Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, and it's, it's useful. For what? For teaching, rebuking, that is calling you out when you're not in the right path, correcting, that's getting you on the right path, and training in righteousness. That's how to stay on the path of God. And so those messages come to us. And is your tendency to be defensive and to push back? It's like, I don't need to hear this. I, 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 or is it really to be totally teachable? When you come to a message, when you come to somebody who comes to you with wisdom, and is you're like, I'm all ears. I want to learn. What I'm about to hear could change my life for the better. I want to learn. Sometimes there's a mixture of, you know, some stuff that might not, you might not want to hear. Or it's critical or maybe it's a little negative. But is there a kernel of wisdom that you can learn from this? And certainly from God's word, am I teachable? Am I open? Do I want to learn? This is the most, uh, perhaps the most important trait that Proverbs drills into us, especially in chapter 9. There's an invitation given to you for wisdom. And is your posture to be defensive and to push back or to be know-it-all and arrogant, or is your posture, your approach, your mindset, your tendency to say, I welcome it. I want to hear constructive criticism. I want to hear what God speaks to me. All right? That's what we're talking about. Then it comes to the very center of the teaching of the book of Proverbs, and that is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. What, remember what we said about the fear of the Lord? Uh, it means to take 
God seriously by consistently saying yes to him. The fearing God is not a crouching, cringing fear. that ah, He's terrified of God, but instead it's a respect for God. In fact, remember we gave you the little acronym. Here's a blank slide here. Okay, we got the acronym of um, fear, right? F-E-A-R. The fear of the Lord. Taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him. And what did we say it was? For every area of your life, your attitude toward God, to his word, is respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, yes, there we go, respect. That, he says, verse 10, back to verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom. You, you can't even start really having wisdom in your life unless you say, I'm going to, for every area of my life, I'm going to respect God's word. I'm going to respect what he says. I'm going to take it seriously, and I'm going to consistently say yes to him. You've heard a lot of messages already from the book of Proverbs. We, we've talked about everything from temptation to, um, to sexuality to money to uh, sacrifice to all sorts of areas. What's your response been to those? Have you said, I want to take it in, and I don't just listen to it and say, yeah, 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 and agree with it, but also I want to put it into practice. That's taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him and putting it into practice. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's to understand the awesomeness and greatness of God in a more personal way. You know, there's all sorts of analogies I could use to kind of explain this, but one that comes to mind is just, um, you you ever been to to a zoo where they have like the... um, the big cats, um, or maybe the primates, like the apes, and they're in a cage or they're behind a glass or whatever, and you're kind of admiring them and their strength and their size and they're just amazing, and, and, and it's kind of the, you know, you get out your cell phone, you want to take a picture, you want to take a selfie, whatever it is, but every great once in a while at the zoo, what happens to you is you're standing there in front of the glass or you're standing there in front of the cage, the bars, and suddenly the, the, the ape or the lion just lunges out at you and, and roars, and it's terrifying. I mean, you, you know that those bars are going to hold him back intellectually. You know that glass is not going to break, but you're terrified for the moment. I mean, you step back, and you've come face to face with something that is some animal here that is far more powerful than you are and in that moment your depth of respect we'll call it fear has risen you're like that animal is that's to be taken seriously and and it's not the same in our relationship with God but when we think about God who with a word created the universe the entire universe who who made you fearfully and wonderfully made you who with a thought a a word can say let there be light and there is light and who controls all that happens, who's completely sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. When we think about Jesus, who's able to raise the dead, heal the sick, teach the truth, confront wrongdoing, confront heresy, issue forgiveness to the outcasts and to the people who are wayward, and invite them to come and follow him and receive his forgiveness and mercy and goodness. When you really begin to experience that, you step back. And you say, he is awesome, he is great, he is grand, he is glorious. And I'm telling you, if, if that thought does not occur in our minds very often, 
then we are not experiencing, we have, don't have that foundation that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're not regularly contemplating the incredible sovereignty of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the goodness of God, the truth of God, the justice of God, the, the promise of God, and it doesn't sometimes just captivate you, your respect, your love, your worship, then there's, there's a place you need to go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you really want to understand life and you want to live your life with better decisions and fewer regrets, then here's where you start. He, he comes back to it over and over again. It's your relationship with God and with Jesus Christ that completely orients you to the rest of your life. And if you're trying to make better decisions with fewer regrets and you're leaving out that aspect, that that's not a serious part of your life, then you're going to miss out. You're going to have a life with worse, not as good of decisions and more regrets. Because the fear of the Lord that consistently saying yes to him, taking him seriously, is the foundation of your life. It's the center around everything else revolves that, that, that relationship with God becomes your first impulse, not your last resort. That relationship with God of worship and obedience becomes the true north, the compass that directs the entire course of your life, and it becomes the map by which you navigate through all the decisions that you have to make. That's what I'm saying, is that that has to be the very center. That's why in the poetic structure of Proverbs chapter 9, the poetry, verse 10 is in right in the middle because everything else revolves around my relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now turn to verse 11 and verse 12. These will be the last words of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Not the last bit of wisdom that we will receive, but as wisdom personified as this woman of grace and power and strength and knowledge, like the statue of wisdom, um, it's the last words that she's going to speak to us representing God and his truth and his message and his word. She's saying, listen to me and listen to the invitation that I'm giving to you. Verse 11, for by me your days will be many. You're going to avoid the things that cause you to have regrets. You're going to avoid the things that are going to cause you some really bad decisions that in some cases could actually cost you your life. And then she says, for by me, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Literally, it says, for years of life will be added to you. And I like that phrasing of it a little bit better because it's not just, it is, does include you know, years that are added, but it's years of life will be added to you. There's more life. There's better decisions, fewer regrets. There's more abundance in your life. There's more satisfaction, more fulfillment. Doesn't mean you're not going to have hardships. Doesn't mean you're not going to have temptations. Doesn't mean they're going is going to get really rough sometimes. But over the long term and into eternity, God's going to add uh, life to those years. Years of life will be added to you. And then there's a, just a word to the wise here. Verse 12, literally. If you are wise, you're wise for your own benefit. This is actually going to help you. This is going to make a difference for you. 
It's not pleasing mom and dad. It's not trying to, you know, do what, you know, what I'm telling you. It's not ultimately, yes, it has blessings to many other people and your neighbors and your family in amazing ways, but wisdom is pleading with you. If you're wise, you're wise for your own benefit. This is going to be good for your life. If you consistently follow Jesus, it's going to be for your own benefit. He promises us, come follow me. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's what we're saying. And then they said, if you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. And what wisdom, Lady Wisdom is saying to us is here, if you say, I don't want to hear it, and you turn against God, or you push back, and by the way, this is an once-for-all decision. This is an everyday thing. You're getting invitations to both wisdom and folly and sanity. You alone will bear the consequences. In other words, ultimately, this is going to hurt you. This, this, this is not going to be good for you. And you're going to bear the consequence of it. It's going to have impact on other people's lives negatively, but you're going to feel the weight of it. You're going to feel the consequences of it. And this is just a scriptural teaching that's throughout the Old and New Testament. What? The Apostle Paul says, we reap what we sow. If you sow to destruction, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life which isn't just length of days, but it's the quality of life that we have. It's just that simple. So what he's pleading with us, Solomon is, in chapter 9, is think through the long-term outcomes of your life decisions. Yes, it is a long-term outcome of trusting in Jesus, of giving your life to Jesus. It starts there. But he's calling us to consistently reflect day by day, every day, the long-term outcomes of your life decisions. And if we consistently stay in the Word of God, if we consistently listen to wisdom who gives invitations to us every day, it's going to have better outcomes, better decisions, fewer regrets. Now, we stop for a moment there and say, think through the long-term outcomes of your life decisions as an individual, follower of Jesus, or maybe as an individual who's still kicking the tires of Christianity, what's the long-term outcome of this? Um, think through the long-term outcomes of your life decisions as families. The decisions that you make as a family, how they impact the long-term outcome of your life. And then we have to think even more broadly, what, what's the long-term outcome for communities, for nations, and for world, the world? If you're wise, it will benefit individuals, families, communities, nations, world. If you mock individuals, families, communities, nations, world will reap the consequences. Think about it, seriously. And then we come to the end of the passage where we come to, I told there are two invitations, now we get an invitation. We thought, okay, it's all good but there's always a competing invitation. And this one, you're invited every day to a banquet of folly. Every day, there are voices that are coming to you. I mean, they're constantly coming at us through social media, through um, all the forms of media, through individuals who are speaking into our ears, through just the culture that we live in, they're constantly inviting us to folly to madness, to insanity, to anti-God, to things that are not his ways. Constantly we're, we're facing these. And you can't open up your phone when you don't get an invitation to folly. 
to madness, to insanity, to something that's ultimately going to harm you. Constantly happening. So you have to realize, you're not just getting one invitation, and it's a yes or no. You're getting two invitations, and you have to make a decision. <coughs> Excuse me. You can't just say, well, I'll just hold out on that because I'm in fear of missing out. No, you've got to make a commitment. You've got to respond to this. So let's look at this everyday invitation to folly in the rest of the passage very quickly. Follies, her words and messages are very, very close to the message of Lady Wisdom. They're almost the same in parts. They're almost identical words. So she uses the same words and just twists them slightly and then adds some extras. And then this is how folly, madness, insanity works. Sounds good. It's very imitative of wisdom. But it's only half true. It mixes in other elements that are untrue, false, destructive, and harmful. But because they're so close to the wisdom that is presented in God's word, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the word, they're so close sometimes, it takes a discerning heart to really listen to them carefully. And they are especially Lady uh, Folly, was, uh, the woman who is this representing Folly, are especially appealing and deceptive to people who lack experience in making decisions. So this goes to all ages, but especially to those who are maybe younger or who are uh, not as far along the path. And it's for people like myself who have a few more years uh, and a few more roads behind, uh, miles on the road, but there's still time when I, I just enter into the cultural moment what the culture is saying and it's get angry get get even get revenge be you know what you want to be here's what it says about folly her invitation folly is a rowdy woman she's having a good time she's fun to be around she's rowdy she's kind of loud and and, and kind of abrasive but there's some appeal to her she's gullible the word gullible means to be clueless it just really doesn't know she knows nothing doesn't mean she doesn't know the ways of the world, but in terms of true spiritual depth, she's clueless. She, she, the spiritual life is a foreign concept to the invitation that she gives, which we hear all the time. Remember in Revelation when we said 666? Not God, not God, not God, not perfect, not perfect, not perfect. Fake, fake, fake. She's that. She's fake, fake, fake. She's fake wisdom. She has no real values. She is cut off from God. She is on her own, adrift, and just making up as best she knows how to, to say, come follow me. She is not a reliable compass. There is no true direction in her life. But she calls out to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. They're minding their own business. You don't have to be looking for it. She calls out to you. She comes looking for you. The temptation comes your way. You don't have to be looking for the bad. It comes looking for you. It does. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. Words are very similar to that of wisdom. If you don't know, you're not sure, you'd like to try some new things out, come on in. Yoo-hoo! Come this way. To the one who lacks sense, people are not following Jesus wholeheartedly. Their hearts are soaking and saturated in the word of God. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. 
It's amazing. This folly, who's this rowdy woman, actually has her own proverb. She has a two-line proverb, just like Solomon and just like the woman of wisdom has. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty. That's her motto for life. And guess what? It's half true. Stolen water. Taking something that doesn't belong to you. Uh, going a pathway that's, that's away from God. There, there's some sweetness there. there. There's some pleasure there. there. She's right. Bread eaten secretly is tasty. There's something uh, invigorating. There's something exhilarating about doing stuff and getting away with it. About taking something that you know is forbidden and saying, I'm going to do it anyway. This applies, of course, I think some of the wording and analogy is leaning more into um, kind of uh, sexual immorality, but I think it's much broader than that. Um, It's just about all of life. And there's there's some sweetness to it. Um, And we're constantly hearing it. And it sounds really good. And sometimes the culture comes to us and says, live your truth. Well, that's half true. Live truth is true. Live your truth. You be you. Of course, that's, there's some truth in that. You know, we, we're to be kind of what God created us to be. We're to, we're, to, we're to exercise our own spiritual gifts and abilities and the way God's wired us, of course. But sometimes you, me being me is, I got I got sinful desires, I've got sinful impulses, I've got a, a flesh and an earthly nature that I'm fighting against, and me being me is the last thing I need to be. And you being you is also sometimes. So we have to sort through it. But it sounds so good and true. It's only half true. Be your authentic self. Okay, half true. Of course, there's a real power and authenticity and transparency and vulnerability and and being the person that God created me to be but also understanding that there's parts of me that are broken and there's parts of my mind that are affected by the rages and the ravages of sin and the fallenness of this world and there's influences on me that I've taken been taken captive by and I need God to cleanse me and and shape me and remold me and send me in a different direction but all those slogans and mottos for not listening really carefully, they sound great. And if we're not careful, we're taken in by them. We're swept away by them. And this is why in verse 18, Solomon has the last word. But he, the one that's walking down the road, hearing this invitation from Folly the rowdy woman, he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there in her house. He doesn't know that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the grave. It's cost them their lives. They've lived now when their days are gone. They made bad decisions and they've got lots of regrets. He's pleading with us to hear both of these invitations, wisdom and folly, and to consistently choose wisdom. You've got two invitations every single day of your life. One is from wisdom, the other is from folly. You know, as a young uh, guy uh, growing up, uh, you know, 70s, 80s. There's a group called the Eagles. Now, you probably heard of them, right? 
These are the Eagles. And they wrote a, a song called Hotel California. It actually is pretty much uh, very close to this invitation from the woman who is folly. On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, goes on. I had to stop for the night. There she stood in the doorway. I heard the mission bell, and I was thinking to myself, this could be heaven or this could be hell. And she lit up a candle, and she showed me the way. There were voices down the corridor. I thought I heard them say, welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place, such a lovely face. Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Any time of year, you can find it here. He goes on to tell more the haunting, one of the you know, ha most haunting and famous rock songs of all time. Um, and there's an invitation to the wine, to the table and all this. But at the end of the song, um, Uh, he says, the last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Those are haunting words. And that's what the truth is, the reality is to those who respond and say, I'm gonna go my own way, I'm gonna reject Jesus, I'm gonna do, you can check out and say, I don't wanna do this anymore. But there comes a day when you can never leave that, when that decision has been made and it's too late to turn back. Instead, listen to the voice of Jesus. Instead, listen to the voice of Jesus who offers you life now, life abundantly, life eternal, life everlasting with difficulties and challenges and hardships and soul challenging decisions that I have to make and hardships and persecution sometimes. But in the end, it is so, so worth it. Come to me and live, he says. Father in heaven, thank you for this incredibly powerful passage that we have encountered here. In Proverbs chapter 9, the whole pivot point of the rest of the book of Proverbs. Help us, O God, every day as we hear the voice of wisdom, the invitation to wisdom, and every day as we hear the invitation to folly, to madness, to insanity, to choose wisely, to choose wisdom, to choose Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you guys.